Hey guys, thank you for joining into the Nerds from the Crypt podcast. I'd like to go ahead and take this moment and uh, thank every single one of you who has been tuning in to the show. And before we even get to the show itself, I wanted to go ahead and just let you guys know what's going on. We recorded this episode a couple of weeks ago and actually I had some technical issues during the recording process. Try to fix it and for the most part I've been able to do so. I apologize this episode is so late, but I hope you enjoy our review of Green Room. You're trying to be afraid. Are you a fan of things that go bump in the night? Chills up your spine, paralyzed by fright. Thrilled by horror at the center of a chat. Then welcome to the Nerds from the Crypt podcast. Hello, and thank you for joining us in the Nerds from the Crypt podcast, where the nerds like to gather and talk about our favorite horror movies, series, and comics. I am your host, Saul, and my co-host today... Hi, this is Shell. Hi, this is Greg. I want to take this time to go ahead and introduce Greg as an official member of the Nerds in the Crypt podcast. And I'd like also to thank everyone who's taking the time to listen, download, subscribe, and rate the show. This is the best way to help our podcast grow. Alright, so today we're going to be looking at 2015's Green Room, written and directed by Jeremy Solinaire, which I'm pretty sure I'm mispronouncing pretty badly. And it starts and it stars Anton Yelchin and Sir Patrick Stewart. Before we get into the review of the of Green Room, I would like to get, take this time to introduce our guest for the episode, coming to us from our friendly neighbor to the north, writer, director, and actor, Mr. Bobby Del Rio. How are you doing today, Bobby? I'm good, boys. How are you doing? And girl, woman. <laughs> oh, my God. I don't know what Doing good. Say. It's okay. I don't know how to refer to people anymore. <laughs> I, I answered anything they know. Fellow humans. You can call us nerds and we'll respond to it with pride. <laughs> okay. Well, once again, thank you for joining us, Bobby. Uh, so can you give us some information on what, uh, who you are and what you do? Uh, I mean, I basically do everything that you can do in the film and TV industry, but I'm, I'm basically an actor, writer, director. I've been doing that for 20 years up here in Canada, but I do work around the world. I, I work in the U.S. quite a bit as well. I see that you have an online series titled In Real Life. Can you tell us a little bit more of where this concept came from? Uh, yeah, I mean, basically, social media has, you know, created so many conflicts in my life. Uh, I was like, why the hell is this happening? Um, so I, I, you know, sort of unwittingly embarked on an 18-month journey to create a short-form television series about how social media disrupts society. I didn't get to watch the full series, but I will go back to watch them all. Some are a little bit darker than the others, but still very, very good. Well, look, so um, one of the challenges that I set for myself, because I knew I was going to direct all of them, so I, I just kind of wanted, you know, like I was kind of bored and I wanted to just try different things. So I made it an anthology show, which means every episode is like a different um, genre. Mm-hmm. So every episode is quite different from one another. Now, they do all come together in the end. I'm not going to spoil anything, but um, please get a chance to finish it if you can, because they, they all do come together. But every episode has a unique sort of tone, genre, feel. Uh, most of them are written by different people, different casts. So they're all going to feel very different, but there should be sort of an overarching thesis that unites everything. Yeah, in in just a couple of episodes I watched, I can tell that there's already uh, crossover characters, and um, I'll be I'll make sure to watch the whole series, and I'll provide the link in the notes for anyone who would like to watch it. 
So you also have a full-length feature, right? Uh, called The Market, I believe. How can you describe that to, to our listeners? Um, it's kind of like Wolf of Wall Street with guns. <laughs> and is this uh, this is something that is um, it's not out to to the public yet, right? Uh, no. So basically, I like I got two distribution offers, and one was to distribute it as a feature film, and one was to distribute it as a web series. And I decided that I would take the offer to distribute it as a web series because I can reach a wider audience. Okay. So uh, we're just finalizing marketing at this point. Everything's done. Um, I basically just cut up the feature into like, I don't know, 10 or 12 episodes. So it's like 99% the same product. Um, but I think we're going to be launching. I mean, it could be any day. It could be a month from now. It's, it's pretty soon, though. Can you tell us where the idea for the market came from? Well, actually, I, it's a play, right? So, well, originally it was a play that I produced in 2010 up here in Toronto, in Canada, and it did really well. Like, I actually I wrote it as a play, but I had 50 to 100 people tell me that it should be a movie, um, which surprised me, but it also didn't, because you know the original conceit was something. It's kind of like Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross meets Reservoir Dogs. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I was already inspired by, by cinema. Um, I had been a film programmer. So my job was to like pick Canadian feature films at a pretty prominent film festival up here in Canada. But it very, it very much is a play, right? It's all like, it's all dialogue, but it moves pretty fast like a movie. So I can see why people said that. Um, and basically it was, uh, it was around the subprime mortgage crisis. And I'd been wanting to write about the stock market um, since undergrad because I originally started uh, my degree in university as an economic student. So I, you know, I kind of knew a lot about the markets and stuff, and uh, I thought it'd be really cool to write a play about them one day. I never knew how I was going to do that, and then when the subprime mortgage crisis happened, I realized that um, like a contemporary bond trader is very similar to like a modern day gangster. Mm-hmm. And then I basically was like, oh, what if they actually were full-on gangsters? Well, I'm going to let you guys know that I did receive a sneak peek to the full-length feature. And I have to say that I really enjoyed it. The acting was great. There was one character that was a little grating, but I can totally see that character talking that way. And um, the more he talked, the more uh, I actually imp- it, it actually didn't take away from the story. It actually made the story more satisfying. And I don't want to take away too much from what's gonna what to to or to spoil it. But um, yeah, I, I I can see where where that was coming from. And I'm really interested in in what you're um what you're we're doing in Bobby. And I want to see more projects that you come out with. Thanks, man. I really appreciate that. All right, so um, is there anything else you'd like uh, to talk about or anything you want to go ahead and, and plug or, or, or say? Uh, I mean, I've got lots of projects in development. I've got a couple features um, in development with some studios there in Hollywood. Oh, nice. Yeah, I've got other series options here in Canada, so i got a lot. I got a lot going on. But the biggest thing people should look for is the market web series. And, you know, if they follow me on Twitter at, at Bobman, I'll have all the latest updates there. 
Okay, so let's jump into the, into Green Room. I hadn't watched this film until this week. Green Room was one of the final films that our good friend Nick, who was one of the founding members of this podcast, really enjoyed. And we had already talked about reviewing it, but we didn't get a chance to do it. And then I just never got around to watching it. So I want to ask you about your first impressions of Green Room. Nazis are no joke. <laughs> and, and Bobby, had you heard of this movie before I sent you the name of the movie to watch? I hadn't, to be honest. I mean, I, I am a big Anton Yelchin fan. Unfortunately, obviously, he passed away. Um, but I, I, I loved him in, like, Crazy and, you know, Star Trek and stuff. I mean, he's a great actor. Um, it was a very different character for him, too. I was like, mm-hmm. I don't know. He does, he, he's like, he has this sort of balance between vulnerability and strength. He plays that so well. Um, it's a really good film. I mean, it, it's, you know... I liked that it it started. It almost felt like a play to me, in that um, I would say like you know fifty percent of the film is in this sort of claustrophobic green room, right? Mm-hmm. And then and then it extends beyond that. Um, I thought it was quite 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 good though, and scary. You know, it's it's funny. Like it really made me. You know, and I know it's just a movie, but you know, you look at this sort of post-Trump universe and the alt-right and and you realize there's there's a viciousness on uh on on that side politically that has you know a lot a lot of consequences that's a real thing and I mean I I don't Mm -hmm. think that's just invented you know I mean you realize there's a lot of angry people over there the the characters came from somewhere so <laughs> and i can I, we i think we've seen in the news um we've seen some some of them pop up here and there um more here than we would want to but you know it it, it, it it's real life it was scary too because it was like it was a movie obviously but and i don't know if that's just like good writing or good acting or something but it didn't really feel too far fetched yeah like I know it's the horror genre, and it, I think it's it fits the parameters of the genre. But you know, a lot of horrors almost tend to be melodramatic, um, and this wasn't. This just and maybe it's also Patrick Stewart's performance is just so grounded and plausible. Um, but it really just seemed like, oh my god, like anybody could end up in that situation. Grego, where where did you first hear this uh, about this movie, or and what did you think about uh, all the previews or heard about it? Let's see. I heard about it a couple of years ago. I hadn't. I I kind of, um, I I guess you want know, to say put off watching it. Um, I I didn't. I it wasn't. I already knew it would probably be an uncomfortable movie to watch, so I put off watching it mm-hmm. until until given the call. Hey, let's watch this movie. Um, uh, when I just seeing just knowing the content and then also just like uh area wise like uh just like bobby said it's it it definitely feels like it's it's it happens somewhere i live in the pacific northwest and seeing small pocket communities in which that kind of thing happens and is is there (laughs) um it's definitely it's definitely one of those uh you 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 know it's there you know it's there there are places that are like that and it's um you know, it's sometimes it's just a, it's a it's a it's a hard look at uncomfortable reality. People monsters, man. People monsters. 
You know what? That's what I've always said. People are scarier than the standard movie monster who are these unstoppable creatures who rain hell on you. It can be their neighbor. It can be your a loved one. It can be the person you least expect. Absolutely. I, I honestly, I honestly found that to be scary because of that, because of what's going on in the real world. And, um, it just made it seem so much more real, even though it probably always has been. And I, I thought it's terrifying because real monsters is what scares me. People monsters, not real monsters. Exactly. And like I said, this is what, this was one of uh, Nick's favorite movies. Um, and he had always wanted us to look at and the way he pitched it to me because I, I hadn't heard of it when he had seen it already before I hadn't even heard of it. And he told me, he goes, just think about the guy from Star Trek being hunted down by a Nazi Professor X. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And um, so, yeah, so um, I always wanted to watch it, just didn't get around to it and kind of wondered for a little bit. But um, I'm glad that I saw it. I saw it twice this at least this week. And uh, I showed it to my wife, and and she she liked it. She's not really into the horror genre, but this is like like Bobby said, this is not. Um, I don't know. It feels different than a, your normal horror movie. It has the horror elements in it, but it is it, it doesn't feel like your typical stereotypical horror movie. Not not to make this about me but like it's funny because it, it it did remind me of my movie the market in a way because some people think that the market also could fit into the horror genre which surprises me without giving too much of the movie away but it's basically it's 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 like these bond traders that create this heist but then it kind of turns into this sort of like you know violent claustrophobic situation very similar to green room and I think it's, yeah. it's that, right? It's, it's that psychological fear. It's like if you can create this environment in the audience's mind where they they don't know what's next and they're kind of jumping, mm -hmm. then I think a lot of people associate that with the horror genre. Yeah, and and we'll talk a little bit more about the green room here. Let me talk. Let me. I mean, we've already kind of already said it here, but let me go ahead and go over the synopsis of the film. This is from IMDb. Um, a punk rock band is forced to fight for survival after witnessing a murder at a neo-Nazi skinhead bar. And yes, the plot is that simple. The plot is that simple, but the story is much more than that. Okay, so yeah, so right off the bat, we're introduced to our protagonists, uh, Pat, Sam, Reese, and, and Tiger, who are members of the Ain't Rights, a punk band who is traveling through the Pacific Northwest, and it seems like they're run just just barely hanging in there. Uh, what were you guys thought of that band? Members? Um, to be honest, I don't know if I loved the casting on the band side. Um, I thought I thought the casting on the sort of alt right Nazi side was amazing because you know it'd be very easy to sort of like cast you know oh the angry Nazis as, as just kind of like I don't know a bunch of angry white guys basically but I found that there was quite a lot of nuance and you saw diversity within that cohort. Mm -hmm. Whereas the band, I just thought, like, they all kind of bled into each other a little bit more, like, which is surprising because, you know, it was really focusing on them. It was really their movie. Um, even Anton Yeltsin's character, I mean, you, you know, you sort of 
Like, he's sort of differentiated from the other people a little bit. But we don't really get to know any of the band. Mm -hmm. um, other than I think there's one one girl and four guys. And, uh, you know, I, I would like to get... I feel like I, I know more about, um, like, the Nazi world than I do about the band world. Well, I can see what you're saying. These kids are shown to be young and naive, and although they play in a punk band, I feel that they're more of a on the hipster side of it. I, I think they were more playing a role. Um, yeah, kind, that they didn't actually fit the mold, but they were trying to get into the mold. And I, you know, I felt like they were trying to say all the right things, but really they were yeah. almost clueless about it. Yeah, they give the the answers uh, that I feel like there's a they. How to say this? I, they give the answers that I feel they feel they're supposed to give, but we find out later that their real favorite bands are not even punk. They try to give off these certain feeling, this um, to make it feel like they're legit punkers, but I don't think they can pull it off as great as I think they are. Yeah, I would agree with that. And also, I, I just didn't, I didn't find it that plausible because it'd be different if they were so skilled, like as musicians. You know, like the most skilled musicians in the world can just traverse multiple genres. Mm -hmm. But they were just kind of like young, dumb kids who just happened to be good at punk, but then didn't really know a lot about it and didn't really <laughs> care about it. I was just like, what then? Why are you touring in this really stupid kind of way? Like, I, yeah. And and the reason I call them hipster is the answer they give when they are being interviewed. They are asked why there are no social media and they give the answer of something like, well, it's because you have to be there. You lose feeling when you start to spread over the Internet or something like that. And I think I, I don't know. I, I don't buy it. It's it's got it. It feels like that hipster hipster answer. No, I was going to say, yeah, I, I, I totally agree here. that that answer um, of the oh no, we're, we're not on social media. We don't do that. But yet, like the whole entire that first like 10 minutes of uh, of exposition in the in the beginning they're like all between that and when they get to the guy's apartment they're all on their phones doing stuff and it's like you're not on social media but you know <laughs> i think with this conversation i just found a plot hole in the movie too oh 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 that's what i do, uh... what I do. good job for hire <laughs> writing rooms well okay so here's the thing right like my big thing is that they're they're doing this concert right and then all this all these problems ensue um and then and then they're trying to erase all evidence that the punk band played there in the first place but i'm like you're telling me that this is a contemporary movie mm -hmm. and there was what like 100 200 there's you know a lot of people watching them Mm -hmm. And you're telling me nobody's filming them and uploading and tweeting or on Facebook or like these guys suck. Or you're telling me there's no documented evidence of this performance in the social media world. I don't buy it. Well, see, I think I think at the beginning, um, Darcy, who's played by by Patrick Stewart, he starts to go like, you know, we need to get rid of it. And then they kind of start getting so they start talking about it. And like they they played their their original set to these people and a lot of the people that are in the, the the location while they are all skinheads or neo-nazis or whatever not all of them participate as part of the like the I i'm gonna call it a cult you know because they they really follow a leader but um 
so he starts like, okay, well, we're going to have to change it up. And towards the end, we kind of see that they're, they're kind of making it seem like they trespassed and they ran out of gas. They didn't have the money to get to a place. And, and th- so I think they change it up a little bit. Um, I don't know if that would have worked, especially in this, in this, um, in this way we, we have for social media everywhere and we have iPhones and, and you know, right. phones everywhere. So, but it uh, it's, just, it's just not plausible. It's just not, it does like when's the last time you went to any sort of like event or concert or something where there was hundreds of people and nobody was uploading any content? <laughs> yeah, not often enough, but yeah, <laughs> it happens. Yeah, no, I agree. Like, I, I think it's really annoying. I think it's 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 almost a frustrating part of society, but it's in a way it's interesting because it makes us more accountable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you're always That's being true. watched. I mean, it's very Orwellian in a way, but mm-hmm. I guess if everyone's watching you, you know, like, for example, I, I remember like a couple of months ago, these things happened even in Toronto, Canada. I saw this dude just walk across the street and clock this other guy in the face at like four in the afternoon. <laughs> Knocked him out. And I was like, well, you know, somebody filmed it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like, and yeah, I guess you're right. Uh, accountability, because now people are just like, am I gonna get a, am I gonna get recorded, and am I gonna be on? I can't get away with it. And I, we've actually heard of uh, people who do something and take off just at the spur of the moment, and then all of a sudden they get caught because they were on camera. So I think you have to presume that every aspect of your human experience is now recorded by some sort of device all the time. I, I operate with that premise, which maybe is a little paranoid. But I even heard things like, like, like Google or Facebook or I, whoever Apple. I don't know. They can like, if you don't click like a certain command on your your phone or something, they can actually access your your camera or something or your microphone whenever they want. Yeah, they can. <laughs> <laughs> they actually can. Yeah. Really? Yeah. No, it's a true thing. And I haven't clicked mine off. Oh. <laughs> Because I don't know what the hell it is. Well, there you go. That's why I keep my webcam on. I walk around naked, and if they snoop in, well, there you go. Well, that's that's a punishment fun. fit the crime. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, this movie doesn't have a lot of humor in it, but one part that I thought was uh, pretty funny was when uh, – and they actually, play, they actually play straight in the movie, but I thought it was hilarious is when they find out that their original show has been canceled. So this guy that has been interviewing them gets them a gig at a Mexican restaurant, and they make 50% of the total gate there, which comes about, uh, what, $7 each? Look, I found it I found it funny, but not in a like, oh, what a, what a, what a dumb situation kind of way. It, in more, I remember I actually went to a punk show because, uh, I don't know, like my friend, like his friend was in the band or something. So I went and I don't know. I'm certainly not a punk, but I mean, I, I appreciate all kinds of music. It was an interesting experience. But what's funny is that, that that punk show or whatever, like it happened in a restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I was um, like, oh, I guess that's just what they do. I mean, I think it's hard to be a musician, right? So, uh, like, there's, you know, I've been a, I've been an artist for for twenty years, and I mean, I you know, I've done plays at the biggest theaters in Canada, and I've done plays at the smallest, and where I've had to warm up, like literally in front of the audience on a lawn. And so I think it's just part of the artistic experience. So 
like it was funny um but i also found it very realistic i think like that kind of thing happens all the time even like as a film like i've had films that toured like lots of festivals and stuff and i mean you just do not know what you're signing up for until you get to that festival some are very very rinky dink some of them are really badass i mean you don't know but you know, some some people are just setting up a screen and inviting their friends like at the barbecue, and you're like, "What the hell did I get myself into?" <laughs> <laughs> sounds like around here. <laughs> yeah, that kind of sounds like where, where I grew up, down deep South Texas. Um, so right after this, right after this, the that guy once again he tries to make it up to him because he he didn't do this to screw them over, so he um he actually says I can get you a gig or oh, there were my um at a, at a bar I don't know if his, if, uh, his cousin works there or whatever but I can get you a gig there with them but he does tell, he does tell them that it is a neo-nazi alt-right bar um, they decide to play it um, play it, which I think is is um, especially with one of them being Jewish is is the dumb things that they do in this movie, but you know, see, I, that's an, I find that's another plot hole. In that, you, okay, again, sorry, this is my screenwriter director <laughs> hat on, right? But I go, okay, you just traveled across the country or wherever the hell you went, you, you from a long distance. I don't exactly say from where, but whatever. You, you've you've it's been hard for you to get here. You've trusted this guy. We don't know how you met. Whatever. He screwed you, right? Mm-hmm. You, so you were right for the seven bucks in this Mexican restaurant, whatever. And now he's like, oh, I got another gig for you. You already screwed with the guy who screwed you. And now you're going to trust him so he can screw you again. <laughs> and you see that. And um, I don't want to say I. I don't want to say he was completely innocent of this. The guy setting him up. Um, I because he did he did technically know that they that is a neo-Nazi area. Um, I don't know. I I I, I want I want to try to say I know what his intentions are, but I don't know. Um, especially later we find out that his cousin's actually the one that was trying to to leave the the location with his girlfriend, which leads us. To right after they play their set, which for, well, first of all, I don't know if you guys un- uh, heard the first song they played. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, they played a cover of Nazi punks fuck off. It's and... been in my he- it's been in my head since I watched it. Like I can't. <laughs> I've actually walked around my house singing it, and I'd be afraid of me if I walked in my house because I-, I just keep singing it loud like that, and it's it's a it's a got a hook. That's for sure. It's catchy. And then they actually angers the crowd, but then they kind of win them over with their uh, with their original set list. Um, but after the show, they they find out that their gear is not in the green room, which they were kind of told not to keep their gear there. Um, so they're getting ready to go, but they but Anton Yeltsin's character at, um, returns to the room because the girl um, Sam she left her phone there, and this is where he witnesses. A, a, I won't say he witnessed a murder, but he sees a body with a knife in, in her head. And this is where it really starts going. And we're about 17, 18 minutes in. And what their reaction to this is. See, I haven't, again, and it's another plot hole 
I just find a lot, like I find, and I look, I find these things all the time, right? It's kind of my job, but so, I, and I look, I don't know enough about the punk genre to, to be familiar with famous punk songs or something. But if this, this Nazi punks, you know, fuck off or whatever the song is, right? Like that thing, if that's fa- that's famous, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Dead Kennedys. Yeah. So why the hell would the crowd get angry if it's a punk crowd? in a punk venue where presumably the version familiar with punk is a famous punk song. It's like, if anything, you'd be really excited because it's like you, you get the reference. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's kind of like, yeah, I think they're stupid. It doesn't make any sense. It's like, I mean, I didn't know that, but they're going to, they're going to know that they probably love that song. So I don't know. And so this is what I'm saying. I just feel like they tried too hard to kind of create you know this 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 like environment this environment of antagonism you know and then you know like and we get to the body and i understand like i don't know i feel two ways about it right because i really do like the concept like i, I think that the concept and how, how it's a sort of simple event that spirals out of control i really like that and i think it's it's a good script from that perspective but I do think that some of the execution, like some of these little plot holes, they're quite glaring. And as you see, like I've pointed out already, like four or five. And it just adds up. Right? Like the suspension of disbelief is okay if it's an ambiguous thing. But once it's like it starts to be like, oh, what about this? What about this? What about this? Then after a while, you, you just don't care, you know? So I'm not sure if y'all knew this, but uh, but I bring it up because of how badly they handled the situation. Green Room is director Jeremy Salinas third feature length film after Murder Party and Blue Ruin, which together compose his clusterfuck trilogy, which is explained as a set of films where they where they have an inept protagonist that is put into a really, really bad situation. Look, you can you can be inept. I mean, there's nothing wrong with being inept or naive. I mean, I think that's a pretty common convention, mm-hmm. right? Especially for for these types of genres, um, where basically the shit is going to go down, but you need someone stupid to kind of like walk into the situation unwittingly. Like that's it's kind of a common thing. It's persisted, you know, from the his, in the history of time. I mean, the ingenue is 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 the role characterized, you know, by by that you know, set of, uh, of circumstances, right? It's, it's like, you know, the ingenue from Shakespeare's time. I mean, there's always this sort of like naive young girl, you know, sort of like girl woman, like like Juliet or something who's just like, Oh, whatever. And now is that an extension of patriarchy over the years? You can make that argument. Sure. But I'm saying it's so common for hundreds of years that it's almost a literary trope. So you can't hinge like, I don't know, like a screw, like a screenplay on, on, on a trope or like it's part, it's part of a screenplay, but you still have to follow logic, right? If you're, if you're writing about contemporary society, you still have to follow the logic of contemporary society. You still have to have an inner logic, right? We still have to believe that the characters would do this, that, and this, you can't just be like, oh, well, it's because they're stupid. Oh, it's because, well, it's because they're stupid, so they just did that. 
oh, well, because stupid people do that. And it's like, no, 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 no. They can be stupid, but, you know, in acting, there's a term where you play to the top of your intelligence. So even if you're playing an idiot, let's say you're playing somebody who has an IQ of 15, which I don't even think that's possible, but even if they are, that person doesn't know that they're dumb. I mean, that person is operating in, in a universe where they're as smart as they can be, right? And I, I think that if, if, you, if you're constantly insulting the audience's intelligence and, and kind of sloppily um, addressing glaring plot points in your script under the guise of naivete, um, it's too far yeah, I, I think I think that's true. I, I think some of it with where, where there are holes in it, um, maybe the, the, the band is supposed to be from Arlington in Virginia which I live in Virginia, but uh, on the other side, but when they were taught, you know, the uh, Sonia was talking about how being from Northern Virginia, you know what I mean? And like making movies and the, the music scene and all that. I, I honestly think that, you know, trying to remember back to that time, you, you don't remember thoroughly, thoroughly and maybe the personalities didn't fit. Um, so a lot of things were left to the imagination and, and honestly didn't make sense. No, I agree. There was, there was definitely some, uh, it, it had that feel of a, uh, Scooby-Doo episode where everyone, <laughs> and, uh, they're just, they're, <laughs> exactly. I mean, there was a dog, there was a dog. Um, but, uh, there, there was definitely some character situations. Uh, I'm pretty sure we'll, we'll hit on, uh, moments in the, in the film, but where, I don't know, like, I'm pretty sure it was the writing, because, like, you know, character-wise, based off of, like, the first, like, 20, 30 minutes of how they were developing, or how we as the audience were seeing them, I don't, I don't think that they would have, I mean, then again, you know, you're not in that situation, but they just seem like certain people had uh, a certain grasp on, on uh, things up to a point, and all of a sudden, they're making very distinct decisions that don't feel like they fit their character um well like uh just like uh i i think it's tiger tiger in as soon as as soon as things start going down in the green room he's got he's more of like you know he's the lead singer and he's kind of got a control over stuff and he's he's definitely he's like their jujitsu guy you can see him at the beginning during the uh the whole like uh mexican restaurant situation where he's like about to take dude's head off you know he's he's got that tough guy attitude and uh and and later on he's like more cut and run so i i just it was it was a weird just kind of like him and uh uh was it the Dar darcy patch uh, not darcy uh, uh, uh the drummer the drummer Oh, um, that is Reese. Okay, yeah, Reese. His uh, his his character. I think like during their like, there's a situation that that situation where they they split off. I I I really thought that the character the characters would have swapped situations if that makes sense. Like, uh, Reese would have been the guy that cut and run and jam out because he seemed like he was the most like squirrely in the room, and um and I Tiger. I actually think Tiger is. I think Reese is the beat, the jujitsu guy, and and Tiger is the guy in here. He, okay. 
I don't know. Also, like like the Conor McGregor guy, I was kind of like, yeah, that's Reese. You know, like I get that you're this badass MMA guy, but like really, the other guy is obviously some professional killer. He outweighs <laughs> you by a hundred to one hundred and fifty pounds. Right. And I just don't know if I'm, I'm like, oh, I'll put my feet here and uh, I'll grab you here. And now you can't move at all, even though you could crush me with your bare hands. Now, that does look un, uh, unrealistic uh, unless you've seen early UFC fights. <laughs> Who <laughs> are these? Hoist Gracie. These, yeah, with these little, these little Hoist Gracie gets this huge. I think at one point he fights like a, almost like a guy that's outside of a sumo. And he takes him down like like nothing, so I, I'm sure this guy's no Hoist Gracie. But, but yeah, look, I mean, I don't know. Maybe you know, I just yeah. think that the guy, the other guy, is he's like the muscle for the club. Yeah, mm-hmm. and he's got a gun, and I mean, you tell me, and he, and he works at a punk club. Where, like, I have a friend who works in the in the club in Toronto, and it's just like a normal club, and people get drunk, and he beats guys up every weekend like that. <laughs> You think I'm friends with the guy and not enemies with the guy? Put it that way, okay? Yeah. <laughs> but, but you tell me, like, if that's your job, and you, and those, and you, you're going up against hard neo Nazis all the time, and then some guy just goes, uh, 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 and you're like, oh, I can't do anything, uh, you know? Like, it's just hard to believe. Maybe it's possible. I don't know. I mean, I'm not an MMA guy. I'm sure. I'm sure there's lots of moves that you know. If you know what you're doing, you can do cool shit. But. Uh, I I don't know. I I just think it's it's just not it's just not plausible, right? That guy's supposed to be so dangerous, and then how can he be taken down so easily? Like even to allow, like you know what I mean? Like I've been in enough fights to know, like you don't just like let someone touch you. <laughs> like, if it's, you know, <laughs> it's, yeah. Like isn't that obvious? I mean, like I just watched um. Was it the James Tony Randy Couture fight from like seven years ago? I don't oh yeah, yeah. The fight lasted a minute, right? But yeah, but even then, and and that's that would be like the closest parallel, right? You've got a boxer against like a UFC legend, but the UFC legend. I mean, first of all, this is a UFC legend, so you're like one of you know one of the best guys ever, and he and he had to take this big risk and dive down on the floor and get his feet and then take him down and then there was a struggle. Right. Whereas in the movie, he just what did he do? He just kind of went, bam, 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 boom. <laughs> yeah. Later on, he breaks his arm. Uh, yeah, that which... that was gross, y'all. I'm sorry. That that if if anybody has a, a stomach that gets upset easy by that stuff, the gore is like it looks real. I don't yeah. mind gore. I just have a I have an issue with uh, for some reason I always have an issue with with broken fingers, broken arms. Yeah, me too. I don't know what it is about it. I just that kind of really just gets me. I hopped around holding my arm like it was me. Like, yeah, it was, it was <laughs> I, too I realistic. Say, for me, the most gruesome um, I, I don't know what you want to call it, like prop or moment or whatever, is like when Anton Yeltsin takes his arm out that door. Oh, yeah, oh, man. Oh man, and like when it comes back, I was like, it was disgusting, but I also thought it was like realistic. You know, I kind of went, oh yeah, of course. Like if they're going after you, and then I don't know. I mean, I don't know if that's like torture porn kind of thing, but 
I was like, oh, like it's 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 re- it's a really bold choice to to show like the effects of of violence in a sort yeah. of real way, you know. Mm-hmm. At, at that point, I was I was kind of like I, I was waiting. It was it was he pulls his arm back in. You see it all just like sliced up, and my mind starts going into like crazy mode. Like, okay, what happened? Like, how did that happen? And it's like, are these are are the red lace guys like uh like a werewolf or you know right right like, right what what's what what are they gonna throw at us next you know mm-hmm. it's funny you say that because that's where I thought the movie was gonna go oh my gosh I me thought, too yeah I, I did was, yeah I thought it was gonna be like a genre bending movie which I think would have made it a better movie almost like from dusk till dawn or something uh-huh. like that mm-hmm. where it's like they go into this Nazi thing all this crazy stuff happens that's why I thought that they were trying that they were like killing people or whatever because I was like. Oh, it's night, and they need their blood because they're vampires or something like that. Uh-huh. And then that didn't happen. I was like, "Oh, they're just angry white guys." I was like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which leads us. Go ahead. They go were. Ahead. I was gonna say, like, the dog threw me off. Like the whole scene with the dog and the code word or the attack word and all that. And I thought, "Oh, are they gonna come back? And there's gonna be werewolves?" Well, right. we see Tiger's face get or side of the face get eaten by a dog. Yes, yeah, right. Wow. <laughs> and then this is what we also talk about. Um, well, I guess we're already talking about this, but we we are introduced to Darcy, who is played by Patrick Stewart, who says that he he was really drawn to this role because he was he was more of a terrifying, not because he's like, like we said, he's not a monster. He's well, he is a little bit of a monster, but he's a, <laughs> a man monster. Um, but he's terrifying because a character can be horrifying without having to be a quote-unquote demon monster kind of thing you know it's it's that human it makes it makes it a compelling character because you you don't know what's going on with that person we don't know what led him to this to this particular place but he's so calm that like i think it's scarier that he's calm and more like than just being this this crazy psycho uh leader Oh yeah, hundred percent. Because he's in control, he's making choices. He, it's like he knows the consequences of his actions. He just doesn't care. Mm-hmm. See, and which leads us to why the Nazis are going out of their way to cover this murder up. It, it it's been easy enough. It would well, I think it would have been easy enough to pin it on someone and let that person get taken away. But the club itself is a cover for a drug distribution center or a drug ring or whatever you want to call it. That part of the screenplay I really, I really liked. I mean, I've I've kind of been ripping on this guy, but I, 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 that part I really liked because I thought that was that was realistic. You know, you've got the business owner, and he's very, very conscious of the police and the consequences, and how can I get out of this with you know. I think, and I think that was right. And it may have also been because Patrick Stewart is a brilliant, brilliant actor. And you just believe anything that guy said. Oh man, he he's just so calm. It's creepy how calm and composed he is throughout the whole movie, even when they're about to take him out. I guarantee you, like not too many actors would be making those choices. I mean, a big part of the quality of that is just Patrick Stewart is a badass. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and um, like I said, he, even when he's trying to talk these guys down who are so amped up and so like trying to calm down or trying to like figure out what's going on, he's like trying to calm them down and say like, you know, he goes, this is what's going on. I didn't, I need that gun. I need, to, I need, I need y'all to give it to me because of this and that, you know. 
Um, he's just so calming, but so scary at the same time. Yeah, it was, and it's something. It was what's scary about that character, or or the way it was performed, is that you were so scared of him, but when he turned the charm on, you just trusted him. Yep. <laughs> and that was like, he's like, oh yeah, just you can just leave. Oh, oh, we can. <laughs> and I was I mean, like, oh yeah, they can leave. And I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Maybe they can't because he'll kill them. But he w- but he's just he was just so convincing mm-hmm. on every moment. Yeah. He said, like, at the point where he said, I ju- we just want the gun because it's not registered. And I'm thinking in my head, don't fall for it. He's being so serious, but don't fall for that. <laughs> and he just made it seem like everything was going to be okay. I think I can say that while we also fault with our protagonist, we can say that we loved our villain. And it's too bad that he's taken down because I would love to see more of him. Uh, maybe another film with Darcy or maybe some backstory, even though sometimes the backstory tends to ruin the villain, such as in, in um, Rob Zombie's Halloween. I, I didn't really need to know that backstory for Michael Myers. Well, just make a prequel. I think it depends on the way you do it. I mean, wouldn't it, I mean, again, I'm just spitballing, but wouldn't it be interesting if now you make a movie where the villain of this one in the prequel is the hero of the other one? Oh, okay. Okay. Like Something happened. Create, that could, mind. Yeah. You could create empathy. So instead of him being like bad, he's actually the hero of this other, you know, I think it just depends on execution. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'm telling you, if they would have even cast, a different actor in that role, we might be like, oh, why would they, why would he just give him the gun? That's so stupid. <laughs> well, he's also Patrick British. No. So charming. You're like, oh, I give the guy my gun, of course. Right? <laughs> I promise you won't kill me. I didn't doubt it for a second. I, not for a second, but he <laughs> seems so genuine. So calm. And like, oh, I just have to give you the gun then I can go home. Yeah, yeah. So we figure out that what what happens. We kind of do at least. We figure out that uh, it's because of Daniel, the punk guy's interviewer's cousin from the beginning of the film, is all set to leave. A member of the group finds out that he's about to leave with his girlfriend, and he kills the girl. And Daniel doesn't find this out until um, because he's sitting outside in the club waiting for his girlfriend to come out until later on. And then all of a sudden, his character flips flips to being this kind of good kind of i'm not sure what how how to say it I, i'm not sure if i'm explaining myself right you are but i think it was it was stupid <laughs> <laughs> because here's the thing like character change i think is a very effective convention in storytelling if you do it right but you don't just change there has to be reasons for the change like this is this is like classical screenplay structure right is that you have an you have a protagonist and then they're faced with challenges and then in the course of you know these obstacles they change their views on things and then they go and they fight the good fight and then the audience is with them and yay all this stuff happens right but you don't just like change you can't just be like i'm bad and now i'm good okay but like why like, what happened? Or it doesn't matter. They don't really explain what happened. They don't explain, well, why did he change? 
I think they try to show us what happened, but I'm not sure if they did enough of it. Not sure if they if it was on purpose or uh, so not to bore us for with exposition or what it was. I think they set up the, uh, the story of like lovebirds who want to get away from the group and start their new life outside of what they what they live now. And this is the same guy who was like basically slams the guy up against the fan or whatever at the beginning, right? Mm-hmm. Was he like I'm so so bad and but I'm actually but actually I'm good and I'm like okay like I get I get that you're you're doing this sleight of hand thing where the guy you think is so bad is actually good and then he ends up joining their team to try and help them and stuff right so for like a minute <laughs> but this is it right it's kind yeah. of like okay we don't know who the hell this guy is we see him for thirty seconds not to be a dick but I mean there's like thirty angry white guys who are Nazis he's one of them. He kind of looks like everybody else. I mean, I think I know who he is because of the jacket. Yeah. And then, and then now he's on your side, but I don't. I've seen the guy for half an hour, and I don't know who. I don't even know. I guess the chick who's dead was his girlfriend, but yeah. I didn't even know her. Like, I was like, what's happening? Yeah. We we never met her. We we see a pa- her passing a note, and then they're supposed to be leaving when the main act is playing a certain song, and that would have been the cue for her to go ahead and go outside and leave with Daniel. But the Nazis uncover this and murder her, and we're and we are never told what the song is. But Daniel's outside waiting already for her um, throughout the rest of the movie. And we find out that they are not only leaving, but they also have taken some evidence from another crime, either to turn them in or to have leverage on them so that the Nazis will not come after them. Look, I like the concept. I think that I think there's too many characters. I think they could have told that same story with half as many people and it would have been way better. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I can see that. We we uh, One of these characters that we get to know is the manager uh, type of guy. He definitely is a Nazi character, but he also looks um, perturbed and disturbed um, and, and kind of disgusted with what is going on. Even though he completes all the orders that are given to him, it kind of feels like he doesn't want to be there, like he's in over his head. He was there probably for the drug run, uh, ring stuff and the drug smuggling stuff, but definitely not for the murders. And maybe he could have been combined with the Daniel character. Maybe that would have been a little bit easier to handle the, all the different characters going around but uh but then of course then you get around to if he knew about his girlfriend being killed or not you think yeah. using the that that manager kind of guy to be the the boyfriend i don't know i don't know who or what or what i'm just saying there's just so many people that's really hard to keep track of everyone it was a it was a little muddied character wise i felt like there was a lot going on with that that was one of the things that distracted me mm-hmm. a little too many characters it just seemed like there was there's some there was there was a disconnect because I was like, okay, this guy either does this all the time, right? Which mean which means that he's not gonna care at all. It's like, oh, here we go, or or it's kind of like, oh my god, this is this is new territory. But then the owner's not gonna be so calm. <laughs> so what is it? Are they killing people every weekend, or is this the day that that all hell broke loose? I couldn't tell. Okay, so we get to the end of the movie. Um, we've um, we've seen Tiger, uh, Reese, and Sam that have been all been killed, and I think all three of them are eaten by dogs, or at least at one point get bitten by a dog and or something. Or does she yeah. get? Okay. 
I, I was confused by this one, and maybe y'all can set me straight. But he, so so Patrick Stewart's like, don't shoot, don't shoot her. Was he talking about Sam, or was he talking about Amber, who we haven't talked about? <laughs> yeah, I don't even know who the hell you're talking about. Yeah, Am- Amber was the friend of Emily, which is the one that's dead, who kind of joins these the the group because she's stuck in the green room with them. She's she kind of has this. She kind of has this weird haircut. They um, all have a weird haircut. <laughs> okay, well, I guess weirder haircut. Did you notice that all the women have weird haircuts? The same weird haircut, and I was like, "What's happening?" I wonder it's if just... it's something with the with the the movement that they have or something. I don't know. Um, yeah, oh, they obviously good. hired the same hairdresser forever. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's their version of the skinhead. I don't know. It's got to be. Yeah, I, I was gonna say you said movement. That's what Patrick Stewart said. He said this is in a. Um, uh, something you keep saying cult it's a movement it's a movement song yeah and and the you know, they, later later on they actually hire people they pay six hundred dollars three hundred dollars each person to fake a stabbing because anton yelson is actually able to call the police and and um say that someone got stabbed well they fake a stabbing and just whether whether you what you want whether you want to believe it that the police would buy that or not you the the whole concept of someone actually willing willing to get stabbed to stop someone from getting cut you know and maybe they don't know that someone got murdered but still so that whole that whole mindset i think is disturbing that someone would let themselves get stabbed just to for the movement i see that that i believed yeah <laughs> i did that i believe and they paid them i remember um when i was a teenager i got in a fight in this underground parking and all this stuff and i won the fight so no worries all right <laughs> and then um, I guess someone to call the cops. So then I'm walking home, and then and then this cop sees me, and uh, it was so stupid. I couldn't. It was like right out of a movie. It was so real. And he was looking for this fight, and uh, and I I walked by. I was like, oh, I don't know. And then he looks, and my shirt has been ripped, right? <laughs> like I clearly was just in a fight, right? And he goes, hey, uh, what happened to your shirt? And I was like, oh, uh, I was just playing tackle football. Man, those guys <laughs> play rough. <laughs> anyway, oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, what? What the hell is wrong with you? You're so stupid. I, I thought crazy. you were going to say, I thought you were going to pull a Jim Carrey and Liar Liar. And I was like, <laughs> what happened to you? I kicked my own ass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, but it was just like it was just so stupid. I was just like, wow, I just like I just gave you the stupidest excuse and you totally believed it. And I was like, but here's what I'm saying is that like when it comes to the cops, people lie. I think they do it all the time. Mm-hmm. It's a common thing. So I mean, I don't know. Is it that big a deal? Like you pay some kid to like get stabbed in the stomach a little bit, like on the side. I bet you that kind of stuff happens all the time. I, I'm pretty sure it happened there a lot of time because they already know that like the blade's an inch too short for it to be felony, so just keep it. You're not going to get in too much trouble. You're going to get in trouble, but not too much. Yeah. Right. They it were going to pay. They said they would pay him extra if he did time. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was good. Look, man, yeah. I grew up with criminals, and I mean, I swear to God, every every criminal could double as a as an attorney or something because it's like when you know there's a chance that you could go to jail or a good chance because you're committing crimes it's like you know all the rules <laughs> how to get away with it you know the law you know what i'm mean? like it's like well okay but if i do this and then you know 
Like they just they just know all the punishments. It's like, well, but if you're this age, it'll continue to this. That. Because like that's those are the hazards that they're looking out for. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So like I said, we we've lost um, all the bags except for for Pat and and <laughs> I forgot her name. Would you say her name was yeah. Amber? Amber, who are the only ones left. And earlier in the film, they kind of just uh, Anton's character Pat kind of starts throwing talking about this paintball. Uh, scenario and everyone kind of just shuts them up and like shut up you know who cares about that and it comes to play because uh, I, you know the way they bring it back is I think is is dumb because they're like I want to finish hearing that story <laughs> but um but the whole thing is that he was actually trying to tell them like this is what we should do and just if we're gonna die anyways might as well make a way make our way out ball, balls to the wall you know um. And which is they kind of they do. I don't know if, if the plan would have worked in real life. I don't think it would have worked yeah. in real life. But I played but, paintball against military guys. Mm-hmm. They kicked my ass in like thirty seconds. <laughs> I, I thought I was such a badass. I like I like turned my head out from behind this box. Boom! Threw right in the head. They had like nice oh, jokes and stuff. Man. I was like, these guys are no jokes. <laughs> So I, know, I didn't uh, buy it. Either. I was kind of like, look, the guy's speaking about military strategy, right? He's talking about paintball. And I was like, oh, shut up. That can't possibly be relevant to our situation. It's like, no, like people are trying to kill you. And then the one guy who has some sort of plan, nobody wants to hear it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, come on. Well, yeah. And then the, the thing is also, he's trying to set it not as a, um, I guess not as a plan, but I guess I think he did, right? He did end up saying, like, you know, this is kind of paintball. So then he tries to explain, but no, they don't want to hear it, which um, I guess just leads to them just being stupid. <laughs> right, right. That's what I'm saying, right? It's like so many of of the, like, problems that, that are, are sort of introduced are justified with stupidity. And I'm sorry, but naivete is not a blanket excuse for shoddy writing. Well, and you need reasons. Yeah, I was gonna say like he he lays he lays out this this plan that if executed may work may not work, but as we even see as it starts to unfold for him and Amber, he doesn't even adhere to it. It's he's not even she's she's the she's the driver of the train, man. She's like she's doing all the action. He's just sitting there in a corner, like I think he's. Yeah, I think he kills one person and she kills like eight of them or something like that. I know, and that's like her family. That's that. I mean, you know, when you think about it, that's that's uh, she's ice cold. I mean, well, maybe that's why she's able to do it. So also, she also saw her her friend get killed right in front yeah. of her. So yeah, no, I know. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Like she's she's got some she's got some stuff going on, but no, she... but that's a good point though, right? It's like he just has this speech about he was such a badass and then he killed everybody and then and then she does all the work and he's hiding in the corner. <laughs> and the the part where, where he's actually going to try to come and kill him and she shoots into the room and he just like runs away <laughs> he's like right there yeah he no, was right there know. about the, and then he hears the gun and he just runs away back into the room which leads him to, to go hide again and then be in a, in a bad position and then she drops the bodies to fake the guy out and first, the first time is first time it doesn't work, and then the second time it does work. She's able to just like come and just kill him from behind. Yeah, that's which times actually. So the um, so Ember and Pat actually escape the area um, with the 
can't I, I don't remember the guy's name. Uh, the manager. Uh, I, I think his name is. Um, he enters the room. Kind uh, of I sees just him. call him Paul Giamatti. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he does. <laughs> yeah, he totally looks like Paul Giamatti. So, uh, so he enters the room and Kenny's like, "Oh crap!" He's like, I'm, "I, I never knew or something like that." If I would have known, I because I guess he was he's already there, kind of admitting that he's way over his head on what's going on in that place. And so they escape and they run back into him. They let him escape. They let him go so so they can call the police. And they kind of they kind of trust him, I guess, just the way his demeanor is. Um, and these guys go and find find Darcy and his and the dog handler and um they see that they were actually getting set up to be like they caused it all by by breaking and entering into this into this um what to this uh to this house and um that's why they're dead and that's why they're gone and I guess they're just gonna hide the deaths of the of the the Nazis. They don't really care if they get caught. You know what I didn't understand I thought there was like they were injecting one of the dogs with something. Remember, it was like I think yeah. I, I think he pumps him with adren- adrenaline because that dog never stops running um, all oh, the way back. Home. I thought it was like the dog's gonna die. I thought it was like a poison that's gonna die in like an hour or something. But see, that's what I what I thought. Um, yeah. I guess the hour was that's how long the adrenaline's gonna keep going. Okay. Yeah, because. Once the dog escapes, he never stops running. They keep showing, they show him a couple of times and he just keeps, he's just rolling and running and running and running until he gets home. So I think. Is that what, what all dogs do? I think they take rest. Though. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen a dog eat somebody's face. So that was. That's crazy. true. That's true. <laughs> I thought maybe they injected him with drugs. Because oh, they were could... hiding drugs. Or maybe, they, maybe uh, they, they gave him heroin. I don't know. That's what I thought. That could be. Or maybe that was the hours. Is that it's going to be an hour before the heroin gets to him, and then he's going to kill him? Because I think he did say later earlier that was he'd be he would be um, what's it called? They they uh, pay him back for anything he loses. All right, so yeah, so um, Pat and Amber get to the to to the house and they find Darcy and the and the dark trainer and one another Nazi guy and and they they take him out. Uh, I, I would say pretty easily because they kind of get the jump on them, uh, but Darcy doesn't go down just as easy as everybody else. Um, like I said before, he kind of gets shy. He kind of just kind of just starts walking away with his gun, trying to start getting it ready, and then turns around to shoot, but he gets shot in the head. And um, I'm kind of sad that Darcy's gone, not because of the person he is, but because it's kind of scary. <laughs> you know what I didn't understand? If the guy's got a gun, why was he running in the opposite direction? I don't know. I, I was, you can't kill somebody if they're on the other side of you. I think he was trying. He was going to try to kind of turn around and shoot, but then he's like, "Ah, oh, screw this," or something. I don't know what he was trying to do. It makes sense. It's just like pick either run or take out the gun and try to kill them. He was so calm until they like run and then <laughs> and then you know I was like, "What are you?" I think like, they're on the other side of you, dude. Like, yeah, he was so calm until that moment. I feel like that moment kind of just like he kind of panicked, and he's like, "I don't know what to do." I bet you it was something stupid. I bet you it was like it's like the squibs were only rigged for the back or something. <laughs> and he was like, "Oh no, I, wait, I gotta turn around." 
<laughs> right. So there was no way to like just was like, well, you got to be shot in the back, but yeah, but it's got a gun, and you know, it's like I, I don't know. It was just such an anticlimactic, and he's such a brilliant character. Yeah, and I was like, yeah, that's die like such an idiot. Didn't make any sense. Oh no, no, yeah, yeah, I get you. I <laughs> I wish he would have gone out with a bigger bang. Either you go out, you go out like the cowboy, or you come up with some diabolical way to get the hell out of there. And then the last. You know? The last thing that we hear is going back to the joke of not knowing uh, what his what his band his island band is, and she, and the girl Amber is like tell it to someone who gives a. F- <laughs> that I thought was funny. I, I I thought that was funny. So Green Moon was not a perfect movie, not by a long shot. It scored ninety percent with the critics, but only about seventy five percent with the audience. Seven point zero on IMD, which correlates around the same as Rotten Tomatoes. Overall, what did you all think of this movie? Well, I thought I, I liked it more than once I started talking about. It. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. I look. I would give the concept a ten out of ten. I really thought the concept was quite brilliant, and I liked the Nazis. And it was it was interesting to watch, but. I don't know. The execution, there was just so many errors. I'm going to give it a five. So maybe you're right. Maybe seven and a half. Maybe seven, seven and a half out of ten. Makes sense. Um, it was definitely, like like I said before, it wasn't it wasn't a film I would have, I, I, I had kind of put off watching. Just I knew it was going to be an uncomfortable film, and it definitely delivered on that uh, as, as far as, like, fitting into that, that type of horror genre, thriller-esque type thing it had me on the edge in the sense of like what's going to happen next and why are they making i i kept asking why are they doing this why 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 and and getting like i I, my wife even said at one point i was like standing up like yelling at tv like what the fuck are you doing (laughs) because i because i and it wasn't just once it was a couple times (laughs) like i said it was it was scooby-doo with a bunch of shaggies (laughs) in the worst worst situation (laughs) but uh but it, I I would definitely like if if somebody out there was like oh you know I want to watch something that's gonna be a little grainy gritty and and give me that kind of people monster feel this is definitely the the flick for them. <laughs> yeah, I mean overall, um, everything from concept to characters, uh, just the story and just everything that might have been wrong with it, I'd say I I would definitely give it like a seven. Um, it definitely kept me interested. It was. You know, maybe not 100% unique concept, but pretty much. And I think um, just for that alone, uh, the the music, the the back music, especially through the beginning, was hard for me. You know, to, I was like, wow, this is just, but it, but it made sense. It made sense in the movie. So I say a seven. I definitely enjoyed it, despite the flaws. I did like it. It is the opposite of what I thought of of The Witch, wherein The Witch, I thought it had a lot of great aspects to it, great cinematography, great writing, great acting, and and all in all, but but I found it boring at the end. With Green green Room, I see the flaws, but I still enjoy the movie in, in its totality. You know, I actually received a message about the movie. I asked our thoughts on, I asked for thoughts about the movie, but once again, I did it really late and only hours before we're going on. So, um, I got to make sure to, to uh, fix that and get a little bit earlier so I can probably get more feedback. So Laura Clark from the RGV Horror Club says, this played at Fantastic Fest in Austin in 2015 and was one of the best films screened. 
Anton shines. Aaliyah and Emotion make you want uh, Aaliyah and Emotion make you want to root for them out loud. And Stewart gives you the chills. Jeremy Celine has the ability to draw you, low you into a peaceful space, and then repeatedly punch you in the gut for the next sixty minutes. If you haven't seen Blue Woman as well, you must see it. He's a great storyteller. I'm excited to see him running the show on a more visible and mainstream movie this summer with Hold the Dark. And I believe Hold the Dark is going to be on Netflix. So we all scored the movie about the same. It seems to be consistent with what people thought overall. I would love to see more scenes with Darcy, even if it's a prequel. And as how Bobby said it, kind of make him more sympathetic or something like that. Yeah, just like a more empathetic. Yeah. Yeah. But but you can still see that the the roots of his evil is is still there. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, look, I mean, The Godfather 2, I mean, half of that mm-hmm. movie is a prequel. Oh, yeah. You're talking about one of the most successful and critically acclaimed movies of all time. So mm-hmm. it can't work. So um, let me ask you this, Bobby. What, what is your. I know you had told me before that psychological horror is your kind of kind of your, your thing you like what you like to watch, um, but what is like your favorite? Um. I mean, I guess my favorite thing to watch is, is, is also my favorite thing to write, which is um, a combination of genres. So I, I like for me, I've, I've written, you know, I've written like 100 scripts at this point in my career. So for me, I, I really like new challenges. And I think that there is a lot of opportunity in, in blending genre. So that's why I really like Tarantino, because I think, Everything Tarantino does is is really like three different styles combined in one. So, yeah, I like that. And I think that the more people sort of um, traverse the the sort of hybrid genre world, uh, the more interesting combinations we're going to have and the more unique art. I think that we're really sophisticated as an audience because essentially watching movies and TV shows is such such an like endemic part of our, our, our sort of global culture now, especially with networks being so pervasive, that it makes people really smart. I mean, the people have, like everyone here has a really intelligent point of view about film um, because we've just seen so many, right? Yeah, I, I, yeah, exactly. And, and I think when we first started, <laughs> I don't think I would, I would have uh, been able to articulate exactly what I like um, it's not even I'm not even able to articulate what I what I like or like. Sometimes it's hard for me to still to still like say certain points. Mm-hmm. But I think it just after a while of seeing movies, seeing seeing um, you know getting these comic books or whatever, and and reviewing them and looking at them at a different from a different point of view than yes, just. But I, I would I would argue though that um, perceiving. Difference and articulating difference are, are, are different ideas, right? Yes, like, yes. You know what I mean? It, it's like people have seen so many things. Like I've, I know this just as the writer in that like I'll, I'll write a new script and I'll send it to like a bunch of different people. And obviously people whose job is to give feedback, like if they're a producer or director or something, they're going to be a little more concise um, with their observations. Mm-hmm. But inevitably – my cousin will make the same observations, but they'll just say it like in a more like basic kind of way. Yeah. Yeah. But they're seeing ostensibly the same thing. Mm -hmm. And so, and this is it, right? And I think that um, contemporary filmmakers need to be cognizant of the fact 
that we have a very, very intelligent audience. We have a very, I would call them literate, but like in a cinematic way, right? We, we yeah. have a, a very, very knowledgeable base. We've never had so many stories that are actually pretty well done that are so accessible by basically everybody in the world uh, as, as we do at this point in our history. So when you're creating something new, you have you cannot insult the intelligence of your artists. You have to presume that they are always ahead of you, and you have to deliver at the top of your game. Yeah, and I, I look like you said we're more like I said the audience in in general is more, um, I guess for lack of a better word, literate. Because um, I, I remember back in the days in the the monster movies and all that they had no continuity, and when they did try to do continuity, they did retcons here, right and left, left and right, and now retcons kind of kind of the audience kind of groans and moans and gets upset about it so even right. when they're in the the studios like let's say the the marvel cinematic universe when where they've tried to minimize any type of um non what is it the way they try to make sure that's all con all nothing but continuity then when when fans find something that doesn't make sense they get up up in arms and even though it doesn't it doesn't really play into the main main goal or main thing of the movie they still nitpick at it because you know we don't want to be seen as dumb look at this look at this the complexity of the storytelling for action movies i mean I, you know like i i grew up I, i'm a 40 years old you know what i mean like i i remember the movies like die hard and mm -hmm. you know rambo and stuff and they were like kind of cool but like now look at the superhero movies Look at like Wonder Woman. Look at Black Panther. Oh yeah. Like Iron Man. Mm -hmm. it's, it's like there's such intricate plots with detailed backstory. Like I, I was saying Black Panther could be nominated for an Oscar for the adapted screenplay category. You know, it's just a really good story. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's still I think it's still number one. <laughs> After a month it's been out. Yeah. It's it's still it's still doing really well, but this is unparalleled. I mean, if you think about that genre of film, it always used to basically just the plot was just an excuse for like Arnold Schwarzenegger or Sylvester Stallone mm. or Jean Claude Van Damme or somebody just like just kill people or kick their ass or whatever, and they things like, hey, you got you you I come in peace, but you go in pieces. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was like it was like a hundred catchphrases strung together with some basic thing, which is just a reason for some dude to just go crazy. Well, let's or not now, forget it's very, very intricate. Yeah, let's it not forget Arnold Wonder and Wonder Woman and Batman. <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger <Yeah>. and Batman. <laughs> yeah, they're different now, though, right? But I, but I think it's because you need. You need to cater to your audience. Your audience expects more. Okay, guys. So I want to go ahead and thank you all for joining us on the Nurse in the Crypt podcast. I hope you enjoyed our look at Green Green Room, uh, a film that we all thought had plenty of flaws in part of the main characters. And maybe that's how it was supposed to be. But even with all those flaws, we enjoyed this movie. I want to thank Mr. Bobby Dorio once more for joining us on the show. And you guys, thank you guys for jo uh, joining in and listening to us. Make sure to like and, and share the, the podcast and uh, comment and, and rate us. And that way we can go ahead and get uh, out there a little bit more. 
Thank you guys. We'll see you guys next time. It's your turn to be afraid. Are you a fan of things that go bump in the night? Chills up your spine, paralyzed by fright. Thrilled by horror at the center of a chat. Then welcome to the Nerds from the Crypt Podcast.